didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter. I was raised poor. We didn't have anything. But you know what? If somebody came to our front door, they were in our house and they were eating. It didn't matter. You say, I'm a vegan. I, you don't talk to people today. They're vegan. I had a young lady tell me, I'm a vegan. And I looked at her. I said, well, welcome to our planet. I hope you like Earth. And she's like, she goes, no, that means I've, I said, I know it means you're vegetarian. But, you know, Greeks don't get vegetarianism. Okay, you don't eat meat? Okay, I make you lamb. Okay, so whatever. All right, for those who watch my Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is the story of my family. But anyway, so, all right, the fact is, I mean, like, we don't get all that stuff. I, I got that. But we, we're going to feed you. You're going to eat. You're going to have something to drink. I mean, I remember growing up, people were walking out with our furniture. I mean, my mom would say, oh, take it. You like the chair? Take it. I mean, so, you know, you feed people. Well, the same was true in the days of Jesus, all right? In the days he walked on this planet, Jesus, you know what I mean? They understood in the culture of that day, if somebody visits you, you feed them, right? So when he tells this parable, he says, well, this guy had, had a friend. A friend, a guy, has somebody come to his house, and this guy comes to his house at midnight, late hour, and comes to his house, and he needs to put something on the table, and he has nothing to do it. Everybody go, ooh. See, that's what they would have said if they were listening to him tell this parable. They're going, he has nothing. So the natural thing is you go to your neighbor to get something. So it just so happens his neighbor's another friend, so he goes to his friend's house to go get something so he can put on the table. He's asking for some bread. Got it? Are you getting a story? This is a major need because if he doesn't put something on the table, he majorly loses face. You can't do that. This is wrong. You have to put something on the table. Amen? Amen. You got it? But see, that's exactly the same thing is true for your life. Yeah. See, you have needs, but your needs are not for you. Your needs are to put something on the table for somebody else. And that other, I'm not talking about finances. You know, it's interesting in this parable, isn't it? it? What's he asking for? What's his actual request? Bread. That's what we need. Not that, listen, you can eat the bread of this earth and you're going to go hungry again, but you eat the bread of heaven, somebody shout amen. Right, guys, that's what we need. We have a need to put the bread of life on the table for other people. Every day, don't freak out if it actually don't show up on film. It's just really weird. Hear this, all right? The bottom line is, is that, is that, is that we have needs to put that bread of life on the, on the table for other people. In other words, when you're driving around here and somebody cuts you off, because if you drive in this area, you will be cut off. Amen. I'm just saying, I mean, I haven't been here. This is my second time in this area. And both times I kept thinking to myself, man, the drivers in Hayward and this region are going to be closest to the throne of God because the drivers around here have caused more people to cry out to God in prayer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I don't see people in this area realize if you want to make a left-hand turn in a three-lane thing, you should be in the left-hand lane, not in the right-hand one, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just saying, some people are exercising major faith. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I already pray in tongues, but even if I was unsaved, I would have started praying in tongues just driving this area, all right? So what I'm saying is, look, the bottom line is when people cut you off in this area, they don't need to see that they're number one if you know what I'm talking about. They don't need to hear you yelling and screaming. What they need is somebody who's going to bless them in the name of Jesus. When you go to a restaurant and the waitress spills everything on you, brings the wrong order, and takes two hours to do it at a McDonald's, when that happens, my friends, you know what? She doesn't need to hear somebody cursing her. A pagan could curse her out. But it takes a believer to say, you know what? You're probably going through a hard day. I want to know Jesus loves you. Here's a few little extra dollars here in the name, because you need this, I can tell. Amen. 
I was eating at a Perkins. Do you have Perkins around here as restaurants? Okay, I was eating at a Perkins restaurant in the Midwest. I was preaching in Minnesota at a Perkins restaurant. It's kind of like a Denny's. It's kind of like a thing like that. So anyway, I was, I was sitting there. We got there after a service late, and we're sitting there after the service. And I mean, this waitress, honestly, the worst waitress I've ever seen. I mean, she, obviously, this was not her profession that she needed to be in. I mean, this lady wasn't doing, I mean, she wasn't, I mean, and you could tell she was very flustered, and the manager who could have been helping her wasn't, he was just yelling at her, and so she was getting more flustered, which means she was doing even worse. Does that make sense, right? So she's going through a lot of problems, and you could tell, she came, I mean, we, are, we had just ordered a, a, a few drinks, so like I had a Diet Coke, the pastor had a coffee, the, the uh, associate pastor uh, asked for like a decaf or whatever, I mean, what she brought to our table wasn't even close to any of that. Okay, I don't even know what mine actually was, okay? Uh, and it wasn't even coffee that she brought to them. I mean, it was all wrong. And I'm like, oh, this poor girl, she's really going through it. I mean, girl, she was in her 30s. I mean, I'm like, you know, she, I, she's really going through it. And I mean, I felt bad for her. So she came up to the table. I mean, she's close to crying. And I looked at her, I said, you know what? I said, tell you what, we're not gonna bother eating anything. You just chill out, don't worry about it. We're gonna have a great discussion because I'm a talkative Greek guy anyway. I said, but before we actually sip off of these drinks that you brought us, I said, um, we're going to pray. I said, is there anything I could be praying for you? She pauses. She looks at me, and she absolutely lost it. She started crying. She goes, yes. She goes, do you see that table over there? Those, that's my daughter with two of her friends. And she goes, and the only reason I know I'm a bad waitress, the only reason I'm here is because, you know, I was living with a guy who said that he loved me. And I was gone to go visit my family, you know, and to go visit family I had been estranged from for a long time. I came back after a month, and he had ripped off everything that we had, and we came back to an empty apartment that we were in. I have nothing left. And you know what? I have no money. I had no money. I had no food. And this restaurant here says that if you uh, work here, you can get a free meal, and one member of your family could get a free meal, and that's the only meal my daughter's going to be eating for the whole day. She goes, I'm a mess, and I don't know what to do. And she absolutely lost it and just started crying. And after crying, after sharing this for about five minutes and crying, she's wiping away the tears and she looks at me because she just gave me her whole life. And she goes, who are you? <laughs> I said, who I am, it doesn't matter. I said, it, but I just want you to know, Jesus is here and he knew that you'd go through these problems. And I want you to know that Jesus is going to take care of all of that because Jesus doesn't just forgive us of sins, but he watches our every moment and knows. And, he, and look, I once was young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. I want you to know he's going to take care of you. Somebody shout amen. So I said this to her, and she's got her eyes wide open like this, and she's leaning in, and I said, all you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. Well, then the manager comes up. I mean, seriously, I wanted to have a flesh flash at that moment. I wanted to kill him. If I had had a gun, I would have shot him and said, I've made you holy. I mean, that's what I would have done. I mean, I would have, man, I was just mad at the guy because the guy comes in and he goes, listen, uh, Mr. Minister. He said, he called me Mr. Minister. He goes, this is not a church. This is a, an establishment. She has work to do. Don't waste her time. Now, you know I wanted to get the spirit of slap silly all over. I didn't want to walk like Jesus. No, 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 no. No, I wanted to go like Jackie Chan. That's where I was going, you know? I mean, that's what I wanted. But you know what? You know what? I mean, that interrupted. But you know what? The pastor, the pastor then grabbed her and says, look, I know you got to go, but I want to invite you to come to the service. I said, look, I'm speaking. We're all three ministers. And so we invited her to come. Well, you know what? The pastor got her phone number. I, uh, she had a cell. So he got her phone number and all the rest calls her. That night, I, I was running a little bit late, running into the church service, and which I've never, I like coming real early. And so... But I mean, I was late for whatever reason. And so I was bounding in and I ran through the lobby and I didn't notice. Okay, but I ran in and all the rest and I got there and, and the pastor kept looking over this way. I said, what are you looking for? He goes, do you remember that young lady? She, I talked to her today and she's coming tonight. 
And so, so anyway, uh, 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 so eventually she comes. He goes, oh, she's here. And he had her sit by us, okay? So she's sitting up there. And then the pastor gets up. He goes, I have to take care of something before you preach. I said, great. So she, he, uh, the pastor gets up, and he stands in front of everybody, and he says, I want to thank all of you for responding so generously and doing what I, I, as I made phone calls, thank you so much. And he said to the young lady, he goes, look, I know we have a church service uh, that we're going to do and all the rest, but I just want to let you know you are very precious in the sight of God. And we did something, and I just want to, uh, I just want you to make sure you stick around to the end because we did something special for you, but we all want to have a special prayer for you. So they had a special prayer, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So they, I'm like, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I said, cool. So I do the church service. We preach, you know, all the rest. She and her daughter were the first people at the altar. They got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. I mean, they're rocking it. The pastor, the pastor has tears coming down his eyes. And then the pastor gets up and says, I want to tell everybody, because I'm, I'm at the altar right now. And I want to apologize because you know what? I lost my sight of what people need in life. And he goes, and I've been your pastor and I minister to you, but I forgot. And I, was, I used to always tell everybody, it's so hard to reach people for Jesus. And then Dean comes. This is the first time in his community. He goes to a restaurant, first time he's ever been to the restaurant, and immediately starts talking to this fine young lady here who's given her life to Christ, she and her daughter. And they're so open about everything. And I realized I haven't been really reaching out to other people. I mean, that's, that's a humble man who'll do that in public. And so he says that, right? He goes, but I want to know, I want everybody to know we're going to make this different. We're going to make it right. Then he looked at the young lady. He goes, what I was telling you at the beginning was to make sure you stuck around because, he goes, I want us all to walk into the lobby. So we all went walking. I mean, everybody from the altar to the lobby. And in the lobby was beds and mattresses and uh, clothing and all sorts of other things. They had literally provided enough. You could have filled a two-bedroom apartment with the furniture and the other stuff people had brought. What did that waitress need? Did the waitress need to, be, need to be a regular pagan? No. She needed the bread of life. And because of that, she got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And not just that. And by the way, later on, she ended up, and this is some years ago now that this happened, she, that young lady ended up marrying a guy in the church. She ended up, I mean, she and her family are serving God. And they're part of the church. Can somebody shout amen? I'm telling you, that's what. So in the parable, there was a what? In the parable, there was a man. Everybody shout man. And the man had a what? But his need was not for himself. It was for somebody else. And I want you to see something else. It was a late hour. Everybody say late hour. Shout it. See, this is the place where most people lose it. It's that late hour. Most of us walk into the sins that end up dominating in our lives because we don't wait on God. We are convinced nobody is going to come through, so we have to answer the prayer ourselves. So we, that's, it is when we take authority, you know, you know, isn't it funny? Many times in our life, when, if you've been a believer, you know that you surrendered your life to Christ. But how often do we take our life back up again? How often do we do that? Because we think God's not going to come through. You have to understand, we serve a God that believes in raising the dead. So even death is not too late for God. I have a friend, you would love her to pieces. I mean, she's like in her late 70s now, I think. Uh, Mid-70s, maybe. Um, and she is a, whole, a Holy Ghost hillbilly for Jesus. She's from Alabama, all right? You know, she got a great accent. And I'll tell you what, you know what? She once walked in. <laughs> she once walked in. A family called her, all pagans. One member of the family gotten saved, and she had led that lady to Christ, right? And so this, my, my Holy Ghost hillbilly, she, 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 she gets a phone call saying, look, um, the guy who's like the, 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 the father, the, like the, the big shot in the entire family generations, he died in the hospital. He just died, and they're all wailing and stuff. Can you come? So Evelyn, that's her name. Evelyn shows up, 
and goes there. She walks in, walks up to the dead guy who's just been dead, what, 20 minutes, uh, in the hospital bed, walks up to the dead guy, picks up his lifeless hand, picks it up like this, and drops it. And she turns around, looks at the family and says, I've seen worse, let's pray. You know what, man? I want to hang out with people like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to hang out with people. Listen, if, if I'm dying in a hospital bed, I don't want somebody showing up at my hospital bed and praying some stupid religious prayer. Oh, God, I do doth pray. That thou wouldest give us thine sucker unto him that he goes off into a... I mean, come on, I'd be a sucker to let you pray like that. Amen? I mean, I want somebody who's going to come in going, yelling in tongues, having security called, who's pouring a gallon of extra virgin Bertoli olive oil all over my body. I want some, listen, I want somebody who's nuts. You know, listen, I want to tell you, but see, what happens in our lives too often is we think it's too late and God can't do anything, but we serve a God that raises the dead. God is never late. You don't know what happened. You know what went on? You know what happened? If you just waited a little while longer. If you just waited a little while longer, our God can, our God knows what he's doing. I was going to bark there. That would have been bad. Hear this. <laughs> listen, in the name, listen, our God is never late. He is never late. There are people in this room right now, you've messed up a lot of things because you thought he was going to not come through when you wanted him to. And that's what happens in so many people's lives. That's where we lose it. In the parable, there was a what? And the man had a what? But his need was for someone. And it was a late. And I want you to see this too. He faced a closed door. The door was shut in front of him. The door was shut. Shut right in his face. He's knocking on a door that's shut in front of him. Okay? And for you to understand something, in that day, <laughs> I'm dating myself. Does anybody know, anybody in this room ever, ever heard of a Murphy bed? Does anybody know what a Murphy bed? Raise your hand. All right? Yeah. A Murphy bed. That was one of those, I mean, man, that's when you had an apartment and it had to be everything. It was your kitchen. It was the dining room. It was the living room. It was your bedroom. And, you know, a Murphy bed was that thing that lowered out of the wall. Like, sometimes it was a really cool apartment. You had, like, a set of doors that you opened up and the Murphy bed would come down. For others, it looks like a piece of furniture and somebody goes, well, why does the door not open? Well, you have to pull it from the top and that was your bed. I mean, that's a Murphy bed. In the days of Jesus and for this parable, they would lower the bed. They would kind of store it up in their places because they're like one-room places, not like houses like we got. I mean, so, so when this guy says, I'm in bed with my kids, I'm not getting up, you have to understand the door is shut, but it's also shut and it's propped shut because the bed's sitting in front of it because they lowered the bed down in front of the door. And the door swung this way to open. So in other words, it is really shut, okay? So it lowers down. But you know what? This is funny. Too many, anybody in this room ever faced a closed door in your life? You know what? A lot of times people say, I can't make it because I'm not this and I'm not that. I have this education and all the rest. If God wants to open the door, ain't nobody going to shut it. If God's going to shut the door, ain't nobody going to open it. Somebody shout amen. amen. We serve a mighty God. Now listen, God says the door that I shut, no man shall open. But the door that I open, no man can shut. Amen. That's what God says in his word. All right? He says, you could run through a troop and leap over a wall. And if a door is in a wall, what, what's the problem with a closed door? I'm going to leap over the wall. I got no issues. Are you hearing me? Oh, you'd love my wife. Woo, she's awesome. I mean, once I was in prayer, I said, Lord, it's me, Dean. And, and the Lord said, Dean who? And I said, Carol's husband. He said, oh, yeah, I know her. You know what I mean? It's kind of depressing. <laughs> Hear this, right? 
my wife, my wife is a dentist. When I proposed to my wife, my wife's an American. She's blonde, green eyes. Oh, yeah. She's the first person I ever laid hands on to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've been laying hands on her ever since. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. But we're married. Get your mind out of the gutter. Come on. Amen. Um, so, so, my wife, my wife, focus. Okay, now, my wife, my wife, who's awesome, my wife, Carol, is a dentist. Okay, she's a dentist. And when I proposed to her, she, said, she looked at me and she said, Dean, Oh, which is good because if she said Ralph, it would have been over. But anyway, so she said, Dean, she said, um, <laughs> she said, Dean, she said, um, if I marry you, if I marry you, you know, Nifaratos, that's a hard name. I mean, I can't even spell it, she said, so that's kind of hard. And I said, listen, you got to marry me because you can't be a dentist with your maiden name. You want to know what her maiden name was? If you encourage me, maybe I'll tell you. Okay, if you insist, I'll tell. Her maiden name was Pain. P-A-Y-N-E, pain. Can you imagine Dr. Payne, please come to the dental chair? I mean, they would have been diving out the windows. She had a classmate in dental school named Gore. Can you imagine they could have gone in? Gore and Payne, dental associates. That would have gone down in the history of the worst. Amen? I mean, just horrible. And by the way, as a dentist, her favorite hymn is crown him with many crowns. Come on, somebody. All right. Anyway, the thing is, <laughs> come on, that was good. That was good right there. Come on. All right. All right, hear that. <laughs> so, so, okay, tell that to your dentist the next time you go in. So, Carol, you know, uh, Carol is a dentist, but my wife is more than just a dentist. She's actually more than that. She is, um, she has, uh, uh, she's one step below like an oral surgeon and a lot more than a regular dentist because she did a dental residency program. So, she applied for this uh, program. She was an excellent student. She applied for this, because uh, we were living in Chicago, which is where I'm originally from. She's from New Mexico. And so she, she, uh, we met there in, uh, uh, in Chicago. And so anyway, so she, she applied to this program, major trauma unit in Chicago, one of the few that exists in the, in the country. And I mean, we're talking 10,000 people apply for five seats. For that, you know, I mean, the creme de la creme. Oh, I love it when I say French. <laughs> anyway, but the creme, she, she applied, she applied. And I mean, we're talking the top of the top are applying. And Carol was an excellent student, but she wasn't like one of those, Right? And so she applies because she said, I know the Lord wants me to be there. So she goes in. Actually, she made the interview, which was amazing. Nobody believed that would happen, but she did. And so she, she went in for the interview. She's sitting there. Eleven guys are sitting behind a table, and you're sitting in a chair. And they're all looking at you. And the head of the program is a Reformed Jewish guy. He's a Reformed Jew because there's different kinds. And so he's Reformed Jew. I mean, he's a Jew of Jews. I mean, he is really Jewish. And so he says, tell us a little bit about your practice philosophy and what you want to do with your dentistry. So Carol says this. She goes, well, I'm a born-again, spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, and I believe that Jesus wants to save people, and I'm going to use my dentistry to go out there in the world and, and reach people for Jesus Christ. And so I want to do that, and I want to, you know, my husband already and I travel around the world and preach the gospel of Jesus, and so that's what I'm going to do with this. Now, you know, I can't tell you the number of Christians that said to her afterwards, that was the stupidest thing you ever did. You should never have said that. You know, you could do that, but don't say that to them because you're never going to get, uh, you know, you're never going to make it and be applied. That's what they told her, just ripped into her. She was feeling so bad because of what Christians were dissing her for. Now, listen to me. They, when they came out with the five people, Carol wasn't even in the first three pages of the list of people. She was in the top. So they selected the five and all the rest. And they're like that. And I said, honey, what are you going to do? I, 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 want, I really I ran home and I said, hey, listen, you know, don't be depressed and all that. She goes, I'm not depressed. I know what God said to me. I'm fasting and praying because I know what God said. Now, I'm like, hey, that's my woman, uh-huh, right? So, I mean, I'm getting into the tongues thing, you know. I mean, we're praying, right? Because I know that God's going to do it. So, 
So Carol says, I know this is what God said. So she says, I'm just believing God. Well, everybody's dissing her believers. And so she says, I know this is what God said. Well, all of a sudden, something unusual happened. And you know what that was? The fifth person who was going to go dropped out. That's right. I never asked Carol what she did with the body. I'm being honest. Okay, but fifth person dropped out, <laughs> right? Fifth person's gone. Well, if, you're, if never, you go to the first alternate, right, out of pages of people, the head of the program said, do you remember that girl? He goes, I know we're supposed to pick number six, but this is our program. He goes, can I tell you something? Because do you remember that girl that came and talked to us about her, her Christian background and all the rest of this stuff? We need people like her in our program. So you know what? Well, let's have her. And they selected Carol, and she became the fifth resident. Are you hearing me? Can I tell you one more story about my wife? Can I? Come on, encourage me. Come on, encourage me. All right, good, I will. Listen, okay, my wife, my wife then. So during the year, they, they were touring around that guy who was the chief resident. You know, because Carol said, I really believe that Lord wants me to be the chief resident next year because it's getting to the, like, three-quarter mark in the, in the year. And so he was going to either go and, you know, get into dentistry or, you know, continue on and be the chief resident. She goes, I believe God wants me to have that position. So I said, well, we'll pray and believe God. Well, it so happened that they were doing a tour and showing big shots around to the program who, you know, provide for the program. So they're all walking through, and they happened to walk in into Carol's cubicle as she was laying hands on a guy in the dental chair getting him baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, here, this guy's got his hands up like this with tears streaming out of his face, and he's speaking in tongues in the dental chair. You talk about going to the dentist to get a filling. I mean, come on. Right? And so, so, so she said, so they walked in while they yelled at Doug's and they're like, oh, excuse us, and they ran out. Well, the chief resident, one of the other guys who's a doctor, I mean, they reamed her and they said, we ought to throw you out of the program. She goes, you cannot tell a doctor what they do with their patients between the doctor and their patient. You have no business to say anything to me. And they're like, so we'll see how you like it. The head chief resident said, let's see how you like it. You know, when, you don't, when you're kicked out of the program. Well, the upshot of the whole deal is, guess who is the chief resident the next year? My wife! <laughs> Don't you talk to me about a closed door. When God says the door is open, it's going to open. I don't care what you're going through. Your God knows how to open doors for you. Shout amen. You don't know me or my ministry and all the rest. I'm not affiliated with uh, Victory Outreach International, but I tell you, I appreciate what you're doing. I've actually done some stuff for Victory Outreach churches around the world. Can I tell you something? Okay, we have planted churches, 362, actually now at this point we're, uh, we're over 367 uh, churches that have been planted through our ministry throughout the years, all these 30 years of ministry. Yeah, and the majority of them in Islamic nations. I said the, the majority in Islamic nations. Don't talk to me about closed doors. When God opens it, it's open. Somebody shout amen. In this parable, there was a, the man had a, but his need was for someone, and it was a late, and he faced a closed. Now listen to this, and an answer that seemed to be no. Do you remember the answer from behind the door? Jesus is talking about prayer. The answer behind the door was, no, I'm not going to do it. Now I'm going to seriously mess with you. I'm going I'm to get, get a lot of people upset with this one. I'm just saying because, look, you're, you're talking to somebody, admittedly, I have issues. I got major issues. Dropped on my head. Probably didn't have oxygen in my mother's womb. I'm just saying, I know God answers prayer. And my Bible says this in the books written to the Corinthians, which are my peeps. God said this, okay? He said, 
as many, somebody say as many, as are the promises of God. They are yes, and they are amen to the glory of God the Father in Jesus Christ. God says, as many as promises I have, the answer is yes. I listen to people talk about prayer. Well, you know, you pray, but you can't ever know that you're going to have what it is you're praying about because sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe, and sometimes he doesn't know what he's saying. I want to say this now to everybody here. As many as are God's promises, the answer is yes. We always hear him say no. You, you, I'm going to go to prayer. I'm going to pray. I pray. Okay, Lord, can you do this? No, I don't think I want to do it, so now I'm going to do it myself. I hate it when people say, I don't think, I had, I had a lady I had an argument with at a church, at an altar. She, she said, I don't believe it's God's will to heal everybody. And I said, well, then hurry up and die. <laughs> I mean, what, who are you to say something like that? In God's house. You say, well, I don't think it is. Good, then hurry up and die. Yeah. Who says, oh, no. And you say, what are you talking about? Listen, don't mess with me. I went through a crisis of faith some years ago. This is a long time ago now. Has anybody here ever through a crisis of faith? I went through a crisis of faith, and I'll tell you what happened. I was preaching and doing a lot of ministry all over the planet, because I do. I travel a lot. I'm energetic. Ah, you know. I mean, I'm actually sleeping right now, and I'm talking to you. I mean, it's just, that's just the way I am. Um, and so, can I, so, so, I mean, I'm preaching. I come home, uh, and I'm at church on a Sunday, sitting next to my wife, and a guy was preaching about Jesus. And at the end of the message, I was depressed. You know, you shouldn't be depressed at the end of a message about Jesus. And I'm, I'm depressed. And I said, I said to my wife, because she asked me, she goes, honey, what's wrong? She could tell I was really upset. I said, honey, either what he said about Jesus is right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and he's wrong, but there's no middle. And, and it upset me. So for one month, I fasted. Now, when you're as hyper as I am, most people think I shouldn't fast. They think I should slow. But anyway, so, but I fasted. Which means I didn't eat food for a month. Fasting means you give up food and you drink water. Not, I took this steak and put it in the Cuisinart and made it a liquid. No, I drank water. And so I, I, I fasted. And so for one month, I asked God to sustain my body and I fasted. And I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, once each, every day for 30 days. So I read the, all the Gospels through 30 times in that month. And I asked God, I said, Lord, all I want to read is your word. Now, I, I read one other thing. There's a guy, I don't know if you know him, a Christian author named Philip Yancey, and he, he and I were on a TV show together, and, and uh, we were all, I was waiting in the green room because we were all being interviewed because they kind of pre-taped things and stuff. And so I was waiting with him, Beverly LaHaye, and this little Catholic charismatic nun who is the most wild Holy Ghost person I've ever met in my life. I mean, she was four foot ten. You know, I mean, they could get airborne with those hats. I'm just saying, okay, right? And so... And so she, so I mean, and she, when I finished my segment, she grabbed me by the lapels, pulled me down, and she said, you got the fire, young man. She was yelling in tongues. I mean, that's what she did. She was awesome. But anyway, so, I mean, so, so uh, he was, uh, Philip Yancey was uh, talking about his various books, and one of them that he had with him was uh, uh, a book that caught my attention because I saw it sitting down there in the green room, and it was called The Jesus I Never Knew because he had a stack of his books that he'd written, The Jesus I Never Knew. Well, I grabbed that one. I stole it from him. I told him I stole it from him, and I told him he had to forgive me or else he'd die and go to hell. But anyway, so, so, I, so, so I, I grabbed this book. So outside of reading the Gospels, that's the only other book I read. And at the end of 30 days of that, 
I'm just telling you, God cleansed my system out of all this nonsense we share so much in America. And I realized, no, I've been right. And there's a lot of false Jesuses out there for people. Now, why am I sharing this about this? Well, because look, you cannot read an example. There is not what, your Bible, the book you have or you should have in front of you or on your phones. I mean, I date myself, I'm old. You know, we used to look at people and say, turn in your Bibles too. Now we say, can you please turn on your Bible? I mean, it's so weird. But the thing is, is that, is that now, I just want to pay attention. So, you know, guys, we, you, when you read through the Gospels, you cannot read an example in the Gospels. That Bible that you have is the thing that's supposed to determine what you believe and how you live. What you believe and how you live is in that book. Because this book is the living book and it's the only true holy writ. This amazing book called your Bible, this Bible is amazing in so many ways. But it reveals God's will, his mind, the way he is and all the rest. It's amazing. It opens up everything to you. So when you read it, you read how God is and what he is. Well, you cannot read through the Gospels and give me an ex one example of a single person who ever came to Jesus and said, Lord, heal me, whoever he who he ever said no to. So don't tell me it isn't God's will to heal people because I'm not basing it on my emotional experience. I'm basing it on what he says and has revealed in his book. I had a person, she, I mean, she's insisting this. I, you, know what you're, you know what we're doing so much? We're making people better than God, and that's never going to be true. There's never been a person born of this earth outside of Jesus, born of the virgin, who's, who, th there is nobody, there is nobody, nobody who compares with Jesus, nobody. There's nobody as good as our God. We sang that in the song. There's nobody like our God. There's nobody like him. He's amazing. Don't tell me it isn't God's will to heal people. I, I mean, this person looked at me, she goes, I don't think it's God's will to heal. I'm going to go to the doctor. I, why would you? If it's not God's will to heal you, then why are you going to the doctor to be rebellious and go against his will to obviously kill you? I'm sorry, I'm messing with people here, but I'm messing with faulty thinking. Because you know what you just said when you made a stupid comment like that? Sorry, was that harsh? The reason why I'm saying this, that I want you to hear this, is because, listen to me, is because when you say that, what you're saying is, God wants to kill me, but people want to keep me alive because they're better than God. That is never going to be true. Do you realize the only reason medicine even works is because God allows it to? I have no problem if you say to me, hey, listen, brother, I believe that I've got, I want to go to, I, I believe God's leading me to go to the doctor. I'm going to get healed through that. I got no issues with that because medicine only works because God allows it to. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? If it's, if it's your time to die, ain't nobody going to keep you alive, baby. If it's your time to stay alive and not die, nobody's going to take you out either. Are you hearing me? I just think it's easier to go directly to God. It's a lot cheaper. Amen. The bottom line is, though, it is God's will to heal. Why do I say all this? Because when we pray, we're like, God, please heal me. I don't think it's his will. Because we always hear him saying no. God, Lord, uh, provide for me an, an, uh, a job that's better and, and something I can provide for my family and take care of them. Oh, no, I think God's saying no, so I'm going to go out and do this. We're always hearing him say no, but his answer is going to always be yes. He's a loving father who cares for you and loves you, and he's given promises. Now, sometimes there are conditions to those promises. And if you fulfill the conditions, then you could expect it. But if you're not fulfilling and living in rebellion, then don't expect to receive anything. Are you hearing me? I mean, this is just solid preaching, but hear me when I say this. We're always hearing behind the door, no! And in this parable, the guy hears a no. 
And the guy says, I'm in bed with my kids, and I explained to you where the bed was. In other words, in order for him to get up to give him the bread he was asking for, he was going to have to get his children up and physically out of bread, waking them up. And then he was going to have to lift up the bed up back where it was and shimmy it up there, and then open the door to give him what he needed, and then kind of reverse the process. I mean, it was effort. But I want you to hear what he did. When the guy heard no, what did the guy do? Did he say, oh, man, rats. Is that what he did? What did he do? And therein, God explains how prayer works. And you read the verse, but you read it for what you thought it said. Don't look at your Bible real quick. Look at me. I want you to, to answer this question. Because God loves you, he's your father who cares for you. Is he going to give the bread because you're his child and because you are a friend of God? Is the, what's the answer to that question? Yes or no? The answer is no. See, because you read verse 8 the way you would expect it to be. Well, he's my father. He loves me. He's going to give this to me. But Jesus said that's not the way prayer works. It's not the way it works. Look at verse 8, would you? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. It says, I tell you, even though he will shout it, shout it, he will not get up and give him the bread or give him anything because he is his friend. You expected that to say, he, of course he's going to do it because he's his friend. I tell you the truth, he's going to get up and do it because he's his friend. But he's saying, no, no, he's not going to do it because of their friendship. Everybody look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? Read my lips, okay? Friendship with God gives you access. But bold persistence gives you answers. Access with, uh, your access to God. Friendship with God gives you access. Bold persistence gives you answers. In other words, the reason the guy's going to get up and do it is because the guy's not going to take no for an answer. The guy's going to keep knocking. He's going to keep knocking. But I got to have it. I need this bread. It's not for me. It's for somebody else. Come on, give that bread to me. And God says, you do that. And the word's living and active. You do that. And I will give. And he's going to give him as much as he needs. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Your God has a super abundance for you, but you got to keep asking and knocking. So here's the news. Here's the news. The news is this. You can't pray like this. You can't. It's not possible. For humans, it's not possible. We can't do it. You're like, oh, great. You just wasted all of our time giving us a messenger. I can't even pull this off. Greek. <laughs> but my friends, oh, my little friends, oh, Listen, I have some good news for you, and it's got nothing to do with saving a bunch of car insurance money by switching to Geico. No, my good news is different than that. Friends, the truth is, is this. Jesus knew you couldn't pull it off. We give up. See, we have needs in there for other people. But, man, when it's late, we give up. You know, man, when there's a closed door, we give up. You know, when we hear, we're always like, oh, it must be no. Depending on your family, if you didn't have an I didn't have an encouraging family. Now, I live in Denver, Colorado. Sorry, for Raiders fans. I live in Denver. Um, I'm not, but I'm a Bears fan because I'm from Chicago originally. My in-laws, though, do not want to know that I'm here, okay? Uh, when I, when my father-in-law called me before I left on this trip, and uh, I told him where I was going. He goes, why would you go there? Because <laughs> they're season ticket holders for the Broncos. And I'm like, Dad, because people need Jesus there. <laughs> and... He's like, well, let them send somebody else, like another Raiders fan. But anyway, so, so um, 
hear this, okay? Um, the dilemma exists, okay? We give up so often, don't we? We give up because we think the door is closed. We think it's too late. We think all these things that we think. But God says, if you just persist in prayer, I'll answer you. You know what? Persistence in prayer produces something that's amazing. It changes you in the process of, of moving God. Prayer doesn't just move God, it changes you. And that persistent process does as much for you as it does for the kingdom of God. I don't know what your background is. And maybe you came from a bad family. Maybe you came from a family that's always saying no this and no that and all the rest of the stuff. And you get like really depressed because, you know, you're always going to hear no when God's saying yes because you don't know how to look at God. But I'm, I'm telling you, you have to exert some faith and believe that there is a father in heaven who loves you a lot more than anybody on earth ever will. Because there is. He's good. His mercies are new every day. He's amazing. You have a father in heaven that loves you, who gave himself for you, who gave his only son for you, who is amazingly awesome and extravagant in his love. He's an amazing God. And he knows you can't pray the way you need to. Did you, do you remember what I, I didn't stop at verse 8 though, did I? When I read to you, I kept reading, didn't I? I kept reading the rest of his teaching on prayer. What did he say? He said, ask. And it'll be given to you. Now, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> the New Testament was written in Greek. Hallelujah! <laughs> Sorry, just ethnic pride. So, um, it was written in Greek, and I'd like to give you that verse in the way it should better be translated in your Bible. Um, can I give it to you that way? Okay, I'm not going to read, I'm not going to tell it to you in Greek, but I'm going to tell it to you in English the way it should be translated. Follow this. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you for everyone. Everyone say Everyone. Who asks and keeps on asking receives. And everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to everyone who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be open for them. And then all of a sudden he gets into the most bizarre thing. He says, which of you fathers is asked by a child for something and will give a scorpion instead of an egg? Isn't that the weirdest thing that all of a sudden talk? Where, where is that coming from? What's he thinking about? He's thinking about solving the problem that you have. He knows that you give up. He knows that when you're right in front of a problem and you think there's no hope and no help, that it becomes very easy to sin against God, break the law, destroy your family. There are decisions some of us have made in this room that we made that destroyed our lives for a long period of time because we were absolutely caught up in the moment. And then when that moment was over and then we had a clear head, we thought, what did I do? What did I do? We've all been there. I've been there. You know, when you do something, you're like, you wake up and you're like, what? And you know, you realize, oh man, I'm seriously messed up. Some of us, five to 10. Some of us, other things in our life. Some of us bound and we're like, when am I going to be free? Because I've been bound by this. Maybe I've not been in prison, but I've been a prisoner all my life. We do those things because of that. We're like, because we give up. Jesus knew that would happen. He knows how you're made. He knows he made you. you. He formed you in the womb. He knows everything about you. He's, you. You may have been away from him, but he's never been away from you. He's followed you. He's followed. He's been the only one who could stalk you, and it's okay. He's been stalking you for quite some time. He knows what you do in secret. He knows it all. He says, this is, there's only one help, and this was on the mind of Jesus. So he said to them, he said, you know, I, I know you can't pull it off. 
You have to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And I know you can't do it. So if you're going to ask a father that loves you for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's obviously thinking about you praying in tongues. Why? Because the context of all of this is prayer. And the way God helps people through the Holy Spirit in prayer is by filling them and giving a radical supernatural prayer language. That's why you need to have a prayer language that's called praying in tongues. That's why you need this. It's not, oh, maybe this would be nice as a nice little thing. No, it is absolutely necessary for you. Because you need to be able to boldly come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. You need that desperately. You need to be able to count on that. And that, you know, isn't it interesting? The Bible says, if you pray in the Holy Spirit, which means praying in tongues, if you pray in the Holy Spirit, in Jude, not the song from the Beatles, but the book in the Bible, Jude, it says in Jude, only one chapter, verse 20, it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues builds faith. In other words, it builds the confidence that God is answering so that you're not tyrannized by the moment, so that you know it doesn't matter how many closed doors are in front of me, that God says, the answer is yes, the door's gonna open, it's not too late, God's gonna come through for me. Somebody shout amen. Everybody stand to your feet. Everybody stand up. I cannot tell you the number of times in our ministry, and I traveled the world. Um, I'm basically at 40-something thousand miles this year so far uh, flying, okay? I've done a lot, been overseas a number of times already, heading to Africa here soon to help widows and all the rest. I'm just going to say this to everybody here, okay? We're doing all these things and all the rest. I cannot tell you the number of times I've been faced with people where all of a sudden we're surrounded by people with AK-47s, which seems to be the weapon of choice to kill your fellow man around the world. And we're faced by people, uh, the, the, the mullah who came and stood in front of me and said to me, you know, uh, that of the mosque in this one area, in this one Islamic country we're doing stuff in. He says, we know why you're here. You know, we've been doing ministry for three days, doing all these things for Jesus. And he comes up to me after three days of God pouring out his spirit and doing all this other stuff and says, we know why you're here. I'm like, it took you that long to figure out. He says, we know why you're here. And I'm like, okay, so what happens now? Because I'm thinking I'm going to go see the Lord now. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's where we deal with and what we are. And he looks at me with tears streaming down his eyes. He goes, none of these things could be happening. And he's talking about the cripples and the blind people and the deaf who are all healed. Unless this was God. Only God could do this. He gave us 30 acres of land, said build a church, build a school, build whatever you want to build. Because we're giving this to you. Come on, somebody shout amen. I was checking this out. Do you know what? We've got at least 35 churches in that nation now because of all this. I want to tell you something. Don't talk to me about closed doors and answers. No, because you know what? The time comes. When you're faced with that, what do you do? When you're coming against a temptation that wants to get you back into things. Man, I'm jonesing, man. I'm jonesing for a drink. I'm jonesing, again, for some of this drugs. I'm jonesing for this stuff. You know what, man? When that urge is on you, you start doing this. See, you know what? A lot of times, you come to church. I don't care where you are in the world. Has anybody here ever seen a bunch of guys pushing a car? that has its battery dead? Anybody ever seen that? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. Why are they pushing the car? To get it to do what? To get it to start, right? They're giving it the push so that the alternator starts moving so they can get it going, right? You know, whatever's wrong with it, they're gonna push it, get it started, and then get it on to where it needs to get fixed. I've seen it everywhere. I see, it doesn't matter. I could be in the middle of the bush of Africa, you'll see that happening. Whatever. You know what? We come to church on days like this, and we're like, come on, give me a push. Come on, give me a push so I can get my engine started. But see, you have to understand, I don't need anybody to give me a push. Because, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And now I'm like, so you know what happened? 
I'm not, when you hear me praying and tell you what I'm doing, I don't need anybody to push me. I'm charging myself up. I'm giving myself my own push. I'm getting my battery going. Somebody shout amen. I don't need a push from somebody else. I need, I got God in me. That's why God fills people with the Spirit of God. So I don't need to feel drained because my battery's continually charging. <laughs> I would body surf right now, but I don't think you guys would actually catch me because I don't trust you. You got that maniacal look on your face. But listen, listen to me. What I'm, God charges, God charges me because I charge myself by praying in tongues. When somebody looks at you and says, hey, do you need a little bit of, you know, hey, no, I don't need it, man. I'm, God, I'm charging myself up. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? But before we get to that, in the name of Jesus, be honest with me. How many of you agree with me that we get into too many troubles because our prayer life is not what it should be? Is that true for you? Come on, everybody, step out from where you're at. Come on up here. Come on, everybody. Come on up here. Let's just jam up here and all sweat and smell each other. Come on. Come on. Come on up here. Everybody, come on up here. Come on. Come on. Down from the balcony, too. Come on. Come on. Come on up here. Let's all squeeze together at God's altar. Come on. Come on. Squeeze on up here. Come on. Step on out from where you're at. Come on up here. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Nobody's going to rope you into doing anything you don't want to do, but come on up here. It's good to kind of get around other people. Come on. It's good to, the family that sweats together stays together. Amen. Yeah, come on up here. Come on, get close. Come on, get close. All right. In the name of Jesus. Come on up here. Come on, let's all be family. Come on, come on up here. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on. So look, we're up here in God's altar where we should be. And what we're doing is we're offering ourselves to God. The biggest and only offering God really wants from you is what's standing at this altar right now. Amen. Sometimes... I don't care how stingy you are. It's a lot easier to give money than it is to give yourself. Man, it's easier. I'll empty my checking account. I don't care. Just don't ask for me. God wants you. He wants all of you. All of you. That's the hard part. God, forgive me because, Lord, I don't pray like I should. God, there are sins in my life. God, there are issues in me. God, in the name of Jesus... You know, this altar really represents the surrender of it all, that God might change us and make us what he wants of us. That's what we're offering to him. Is that a difficult thing? Sure, sure. How do you even lead a prayer like that? I don't know. I mean, we say prayers, but ultimately it's not the prayers that you're saying with your mouth. It's what you mean in your heart that God's listening to. Only God knows whether you're giving a little bit or a lot. I, that's my joy. I'm just going to take you where you're at, love on you, and believe God that you mean what you say. But only you and Jesus really know. That ought to terrify you. Answering altar calls is not the issue. That's not the terrifying thing. It's knowing that God knows not only what we're doing, but why we're doing what we're doing. He sees, he looks at us and through us at the same time. That's what makes him scary. Amen? But we're here where God wants to pour out his mercy on you. So in the name of Jesus, can you put both of your hands on your heart? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would you say this with me? Jesus, I confess I have sinned. That's not a big surprise because I am weak, but you are strong. And you demonstrated your strength when you died on the cross as the only death, the only means of my salvation and you rose from the dead to prove to me 
and to the world, you can truly save, deliver, not only forgive, but set free as well. So Jesus, I ask you, forgive me, deliver me, set me free from all my sin and from myself. Forgive me. I know my prayer life is not what it should be. I need your help. Guide me. Lead me. Protect me. Teach me. And I will follow you as you lead me. Wherever that might be. Teach me to pray. Grant me a Holy Ghost alarm clock to wake me up at the time of prayer. Lead me in prayer. Give me and my family a supernatural desire for your word. Supernatural ability to remember what it says. Almighty God, I'm yours. I unconditionally surrender. And I ask you for your radical power to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, can you clap your hands and thank the Lord for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. Now, we've asked God to cleanse us. I was about ready to apologize to this stand. How weird is that? I mean, you don't apologize to three, you know, uh, uh, weird, like, inanimate objects. But anyway, so, in the name of Jesus, you need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Well, Dean, how's that going to happen? Thanks for asking. Okay, what we're going to do is I have, I have you all up here. In just a second, those of you who want to get...